And, you know, I think the other thing that's that that I've come to learn about television is, is that there's this kind of alchemy quality that you cannot control. Like yeah. there's just some miraculous things that happen that because you're putting so many elements together. Yeah, it's it, like it is impossible to control at all. You're listening to the TV Campfire, a new podcast from ATX Television Festival. Hi, y'all. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Emily. And we're the co-founders of ATX Television Festival. Welcome to the first episode of the TV Campfire. In this series, we'll be hosting in-depth conversations about all things television, the same way we tell stories at camp or gather around our TV sets. Like Norman Lear said, television is the modern day campfire. So real quick, we want to give you a little background about the series before you dive in. Since there are so many people who can't make it to Austin in June for the festival, we created this podcast to get to the heart of what makes TV such a moving and intimate medium. Every episode is a conversation between two to three guests and you. It's like you're all in the room or around the campfire together. This first episode features showrunners and TV writers Carlton Cuse and Carrie Aaron. It's a bit of TV 101. Even though TV is an extremely collaborative medium, there's one job whose title is both impressive and a little elusive. Showrunner. What does a showrunner actually do? What does that title even mean? Carlton and Carrie have been showrunners and writers for decades. They've seen everything, but their passion for what they do is so obvious when they talk about how they met working on Bates Motel. So imagine, if you will, you're here with us in Austin, sitting around the campfire, listening to some of your TV favorites tell their stories. It's time to pull up a log, pour yourself a drink, start roasting that marshmallow, and settle in for a showrunner defined. Hi, this is Carrie Aaron. I'm the co-creator, showrunner, co-showrunner of Bates Motel, also producer, writer on Friday Night Lights and Parenthood. Oh, I'm Carlton Cuse. Also, I'm co-creator, co-showrunner of Bates Motel. I also worked on Lost and The Strain, and I have a new show called Jack Ryan coming up on Amazon this summer, and uh, Nash Bridges, and a few other things. So, anyway, here we are. So, Carrie, we're going to... Hi, Carlton. Hi, Carrie. How are you? I'm good. I miss you. Well, here we are together. <laughs> I miss you, too. So, um... In a very uh, casual and not at all awkward fashion, we're supposed to talk about the process of making Bates Motel, making television, cool, being showrunners. I being, hope I remember how to being how partners, we did it. being writers. Shall we? Yeah. All right. No, it's fun to be doing this podcast in association with ATX, which is a fantastic television festival. If you haven't been, you should immediately book a plane ticket to Austin and go to this. It's If you're a television fan, it's great. There's amazing panels and really cool, like deep stuff. It's definitely worth checking out. I will be there this June to do a reunion panel for Nash Bridges, a show I created. Uh, it's really, it was an incredible group of writers and we're all going to get together and talk about what it was like to do that show and Carrie, Carrie, what is a showrunner? Tell us, tell tell me what, let's just start right there. What, what is a showrunner? What does a showrunner do? A showrunner is, I feel like I'm taking a test. Um, a showrunner. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I know that now. A showrunner is creative management. I think, I think it's, um, wanting to create something that no one else can see and having to guide hundreds of people through that process so that everyone eventually can see it. It's very um, collaborative. It involves a lot of communication and, and mostly it involves like a, a insane and probably not healthy focus. 
on a fantasy world. <laughs> it's it's a lot like being a director in a movie, except for in television. The showrunner, who is is usually the writer as well, is the person who's kind of the ultimate creative authority on a show, and also often the business authority as well. So it does take kind of two sides of your brain, which is why showrunning is really hard. You have to do an enormous amount of creative work on usually schedules and mm-hmm. under a, under a tight timetable, but you also have to manage an enterprise that's spending millions of dollars a week and, you know, make sure that that runs smoothly as well. So I kind of like think of show running as like being a decathlete in the Olympics. You have to be able to do 10 things. You don't have to be the absolute best at all 10 <laughs> things, but you have to, you, you have to be able to, you know, get your ass over the high jump bar. You do have to, and you have to throw the shot put and you have to sprint and high hurdle and all those things. I honestly don't remember the first time I heard the word showrunner. You know, it's really interesting because in the course of my career, showrunning has evolved from being a really behind-the-scenes thing. When I started out and I was a showrunner for the the first show I created was called The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. It was on Fox in the early 90s. And showrunners, I wasn't really, I mean, there were executive producers who ran television shows, but there wasn't really that terminology in common use at that point. And people didn't really care about who showrunners were. They didn't ever pay attention to them. I mean, the... When did that change? Because I think I know when it changed. Well, let's see when you think it changed when versus when I thought it changed. When did you think it changed? I think it changed on Lost. <laughs> no, I, I mean, definitely, like, when we were doing Lost, that was, like, a whole crazy thing. But I think that it, when it... I, I would say that Stephen Bochco True. was yes. probably the True. first guy who people were like, oh, I'm kind of aware that that guy is actually the creative force behind shows like Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue. And and then then there was kind of this growing thing that I think happened, you know, with Lost and then was, you know, closely followed by Mad Men and Breaking Bad and stuff where, where showrunners were seen as the auteurs and, you know, being important creative people. But more than that, what I'm thinking of when I when I think of Lost and that time period is that showrunners became personalities. Yeah. And that was something that I never remember before that. Like I knew like Bochco was like a hugely influential creative force in television, but yeah. that feels like that changed all that now. And it became a new thing. I mean, when I came out to LA to work in entertainment, you know, I wanted to be a director like everyone else because that was the thing that you knew about right. were film directors. Right. And I really didn't even think much about I mean, I actually had watched a ton of television growing up, but I never really thought about like doing it. The people who made it or anything yeah, like yeah. that. It just Me ex- too. It yeah. just existed. Like I mean, I never watched like a, an episode of television and thought like, oh, there's dudes who wrote this and directed it or anything like that and then i kind of fell into television after starting in the movie business and and you're right at that time i mean it was an anonymous face business there wasn't really yeah there weren't people you didn't nobody knew who made television yeah i thought it was a terrifying hell from which i would never return because i spent such a large part of my career in writers rooms really kind of like cloistered like i didn't really deal with production you know so i just thought other people in armor went and dealt with production more you know i lived in like this universe of like <laughs> writers who are like the nicest people in the world and making shit up out of our heads you know it was like <laughs> you cannot imagine a more insulated environment so the idea of actually having to go into the world world of production, which I knew really very little about, and function in there and do the job and understand it and, you know, be an adult. It was just an eye-opening experience. This 
person, Carlton, who I'm talking to, the best Hello. teacher in the world, best well, thank teacher you. in the world. Thank I, you. I can't tell you every day that I do my job, I the things that you have said to me come into my head and calm me down. It's 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 good because basically I sort of laid down a template so that Carrie can just say, oh, okay, that's what Carlton did. I will not do that. <laughs> that's is a good example of what not to do in this particular situation. Uh, I can't. No, you just have a very you have a very good attitude. I think about about the business. I think it's a really healthy attitude, and you're passionate about the work. But you also there's like a super practical part of you that's like, okay, well this isn't working. Let's fix it. And I think when you take that. Pressure off yourself of like when you're just being creative, you can put so much pressure on yourself of having to achieve something so high. And I think when you, you know, that's great for when you're doing that, but when you're producing, you have to kind of deal with what you have and you have to fix it and make it as good as it can be. And I think that's sort of. That's actually really fun, and I didn't realize how fun that was. Um, and that, that yeah. was just a great thing that I learned from you. I mean, I think, you know, my, my path was a little bit different. I was working in movies and developing movies, and, and I jumped very high into television. I created a, this show, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., and I'd been working with a writer named Jeffrey Bohm on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and this executive... At, who was at Fox at the time named Bob Greenblatt, who now runs NBC, basically called me up and said, do you have anything like Indiana Jones for television? And <laughs> I concocted this idea called The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which was about a Harvard-educated bounty hunter who was trying to hunt down the murderers of his father, who was a famous Western lawman. And I collaborated on it with, with Jeffrey Bowman. It was kind of the last thing we worked on jointly and then we went our separate ways and I was kind of in charge of this television show so anyway I was kind of thrust I was thrown into the deep end of the pool with with Briscoe and you know really ended up having a chance to sort of show run this show when I was like 31 years old without really knowing what I was doing but I got to do it you know and I I, I think I learned a lot by trial and error and <laughs> and I think sort of like I think of like the uh the Robert Duvall character in Apocalypse Now, who's like standing on the beach and, you know, there's incoming shells and, you know, I've had enough trauma and been through enough <laughs> battles that I can stay calm when when problems come up. And I think back to what, you know, Carrie was saying, I think that being successful in television requires two things that seem diametrically opposed to each other. One is real vision and the other is real elasticity. And I think that people who fail lack one or the other. I, it's 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 really critical in television. You don't have the luxury of being able to do everything exactly the way you want. And, and honestly, I think the constraints that arise seem like they might be inhibiting to creativity, but they're often really liberating and actually lead to greater creativity. And, and fun. I and mean, fun. they're fun yeah. challenges. And I think just getting comfortable in chaos is is part of the job. And once you kind of are on board with that, it's fun, you know? Yeah, I mean Bates was a great example of it, you know, the of a show that had a lot of constraints I and mean, we didn't have a lot of money <laughs> to we, say the least. And we had very few actors. I mean, yes. so we had, <laughs> we had five no. actors on the show. We had no premise. <laughs> and we had and no premise. But other than that, it was great. We had a really cool house. We had a really cool house. We had amazing actors. Um, and we had a good central relationship. Yeah, and but to spin 50 hours yeah. of storytelling out of just this tiny people in a house. tiny premise was, I think, pretty, pretty astonishing. I mean, I 
you know, and I, I give a tremendous amount of credit to Carrie, whose wonderful writing was responsible for, you know, I mean, she, she, she helped, you know, make all those, those hours insanely engaging in a, in a really special way. Yeah. So Bates Motel came about because I was approached by the, um, two, two executives who were running universal television at the time. And they were, um, they said, you know, we have an opportunity to reboot the Psycho franchise and A&E Network wants to put this on the air. And so, you know, I just thought about it and, and it was just, I think my criteria is like, does an idea get in my head? Does it get stuck in my brain? And it kind of did. And I started thinking about ways in which this might be interesting. I also really love to work in collaboration. I mean, I, I worked on Lost for six years in collaboration with, you know, with Damon Lindelof. And I like as a writer, having someone to bounce ideas off of to do kind of this. That's great. It's, it's like, I mean, I really miss it actually. Yeah. And so we were starting down this path and I said, well, I really would love to find someone to collaborate with. And I knew who Carrie was. And I think we'd met in passing. um, A long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. And they sort of arranged for us to meet and we sat down and it was like instant chemistry like <laughs> like we'd known each other for years really yeah. yeah and and so Carrie came to that meeting and she knew what it was about and she had this whole kind of subset of ideas that she was interested in and our two subsets of ideas completely lined up with each other but we have different strengths and different approaches and so yeah. everything kind of fused together yeah we're, we're good good partners. Carrie had worked on previous shows where, I, as she was saying before, you know, she had just really been a writer. And yeah. for me, it was my process is super inclusive. And so, you know, just from the get-go, I was like, well, we're writing this together. We're going to make it in all respects together. So it just became a fully inclusive process. So Carrie was just there with me and a part of all the decision-making. And so just by sheer process she started learning how the whole thing worked and we just you know we just did it all together um and uh, yeah you were always great about that you were from when the from the beginning when i was just like (laughs) 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 like i felt i felt like i'd gone down the the rabbit hole i mean like wow what what is this crazy world yeah and i mean it really never actually got discussed it was just an assumption in my mind that you know, we were partners, and partners meant being partners on all aspects of all the decision making on the show. You know, and yeah. that's and that's what it was. You know, and then I think as we as we got deeper into the show, I found myself in this weird position where you know I think you know you, you, into Hollywood is like a you know this place where you know you meet a lot of rejection, and you know most things you develop never get made, and so you have to develop a bunch of different things in order to get something made and i went through this period where i had a bunch of things that i was developing and they all got made they, and so were, I was they like, all i would just be like fuck there's <laughs> <laughs> another one <laughs> and my favorite part was you know i think the part that was good was i could kind of come in and you know carrie would have been working for you know a couple of days or whatever in the room on on moving stuff forward and then i would come in with sort of fresh perspective and say yes. oh i think this this evolution has been great and here's what we should do here and yeah it's great when you've been when you've been entrenched in something to be able to have someone who who isn't yeah hear hear it you know and and my favorite part perspective yeah and my favorite part of the process was just we would sit in my office and then just (laughs) we spent a lot of time on every episode just sort of talking through things and it was a weird show because like some shows like on lost we would put the show on the board in great detail on Mm -hmm. whiteboards and it would change very little so once the show was basically carded or boarded 
you know, we'd write the the scripts and that was the show. In the case of Bates, it evolved a lot. We would actually board the show in great detail and then, and then we'd pitch out the board and then we'd sign off on it. Then someone would write an outline and then we would be like, ah, this is working. This isn't working. And then we'd revamp it and then there'd be a revised outline and then we would write a script and then we'd be like, ah, this is working. This isn't working. So there was a lot of, there was a lot more creative adaptation in the subsequent phases was, than on other shows. It stayed very organic, and I think that I think partly that's because I I personally hate having scenes broken in the room. Like I feel like why what am I doing? Like that if the scene's broken for you, like like have someone else write it. Like <laughs> I want I want the pleasure of finding the scene while I'm writing it. But I think the other thing is that because so much of that show, all of that show had to run through Norma and Norman. And through their their little tiny idiosyncrasies of their relationship, that you could think you had, you would have a story beat out, but it would change. Like it could change for the slightest thing, that element of it. And then it was like a domino where you had to then change it up in the next one and change it up in the next one. So the shell kind of stayed the same, but the the um, psychology of it and the nuance of it was was constantly being found, and I think it, I think it was good for the show. I think it, yeah. I think it kept it very fresh and and not redundant, um, which was a hard thing to do with two characters. Let's just jump back a little bit. When you were growing up, did you think, oh, I'm going to grow up and be a showrunner? <laughs> no, because you were like, I don't even know what a showrunner was. But what did you think you wanted I to do? I didn't. I want. I didn't know what any, anything normal was when I was a kid. I wanted to live in a normal house, um, with all due respect to my family, who I love dearly. But um, I think I wanted to be. Um, I was fascinated with storytelling. I was. I would write. My sister and I had a had a club in our garage called the Show Club. And we would we would put on plays in our driveway with the neighborhood kids, and um, I would sometimes write little scripts. Someone, some a classmate of mine from elementary school reached out recently and said, "Are you the Carrie Aaron that wrote the play in third grade about the monkey or something?" And I was like, "Oh fuck yeah, I am that Carrie Aaron." What was that called? <laughs> I don't remember anymore. But um, it was about a monkey. I remember that. I hope it wasn't Rampage because. <laughs> You will sue me then. <laughs> I wish it was Rampage. That would be awesome. Um, I just, uh, I, one of the co-writers of that movie. So it's just a little aside on the topic of monkey a movies. Monkey, a monkey, monkey stories. Yes. yes. So I was. That's kind of a, sums up the difference between Carrie and I when you just look at our various monkey projects. I think it says everything that you need to know. I think that's true. I think mine was about a monkey who was an worked for an organ grinder. I think that's what mine was about. But, um, yeah, so I was interested in storytelling, but I think I wanted, I, as I got a little bit older, like, like teenager, I wanted, to, I, I'm fascinated by a- actors and by acting and by the whole. So did you want to be an actor? I think I did. Yeah. I think I still do. I think I, I just like pretending. I like the idea of great. You want to be on, you want to be on Jack Ryan and be a CIA agent? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I would be the worst CIA agent. <laughs> Unless I just got my really badass face on, you know. Yeah. Okay. Can you show me that? Oh, yeah. we're on we're on radio. Sorry. I can. Oh, that's good. Yeah. By the way, what just the for all of you, you at home. Carlton. Holy shit, she is that fuck. is badass. Yeah. Okay. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> so good. 
Okay, so there's the, you're acting. You're you're on your way to an acting career, mm-hmm. and then and then I found out when I got into um, college, I went to UCLA um, to be in the theater department, and I found out that I knew nothing about acting, and I'm also a really fucking weird type. <laughs> I didn't get cast in anything, so it was like I, you know, I got a weird voice. I'm like, you know, I'm 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 a character. I didn't know that uh, at the time, but um, so I got very very discouraged about acting, and I I moved into the English department <laughs> and became uh, just read books because I liked books. <laughs> That's what I did. Met my uh, future husband, and then you started screenwriting. How I was dating uh the son of a writer from high school through college so you're like oh this guy makes a living as a writer well that was the first part of it also they were just like a really nice his parents were so nice and and i was having like some issues in my own home and they were just so loving and um i really became kind of part of their family he i I basically had no idea what i was going to do to make money (laughs) i was working at a bank and he just said, well, he wrote a paper I wrote for school, and he said, you're a good writer. Why don't you try writing a script? And that was literally why I started trying to write, because someone who did it for a living was like, try this, you know. Huh. Um, and he helped me, and he's, he was he was like a wonderful presence in my life. Do you um, ever have, like, do you, like, ever drive by banks and then just feel any pang of regret? <laughs> no, but I do feel, I feel sort of sentimental toward them. Because I remember being a teller in a bank and like that whole part of my life when I like had no money and, you know, So now you're a storyteller. I'm a storyteller, <laughs> but I'm bummed. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. That was good. But I do remember when I told them I was going to leave because I want to be a writer because I'd gotten a tiny job and they laughed. And I remember when, a year later, I brought my fucking check in there. So laugh like, at this. There you go. Pals. <laughs> with your with your scary CIA <laughs> actor face. That's right. I scared that's them. good. Um, wow, that's great. Yeah. And well, then it what, just kind of worked up from there, right? And what what about you, Carlton? I'm well, actually thanks for, thanks fascinated for asking, Carrie. to know what you wanted to be when you were a kid. Well, I should I think it's more like what did my mom want me to be? So <laughs> We actually, Carrie and I, I think, I think the other thing we had, we both had very strong, complicated mothers, yes. and that was very much a part of, I think, our bonding element on this show. Um, I had a bunch of doctors in my family, so my mom really wanted me to be a doctor, and I could um, see that. so, I mean, I went off to college, and I was a pre-med, but I hated it, and I was doing terrible in those classes, and then my, my mother, sensing that my interest was waning, had... <laughs> had my uncle invite me to scrub in on a surgery that he was doing. And it happened to be an intestinal bypass on an incredibly obese person. And that he was like cutting through all of these layers of fat and cauterizing it. And there's like the smell of acrid human flesh burning. And he's also, I didn't realize this, you can pull people's internal organs out of their stomach and then you just put them up on top and they're pulsing. And he's like, oh, this is the spleen or intestine or whatever. And then like, they're gray and they're like going in and out. And I, my vision went like, turned into like this black tunnel and I fainted (laughs) in the operating room and I woke up and I just saw like the really bright lights and I was being dragged by my feet into the recovery area and I was like pretty sure at that point that medicine was not in my future that's amazing and when I was in college the filmmakers of the movie Airplane um, I went to Harvard and they came to test screen a 
version of the movie and they recorded the audience reaction. They wanted to get like a, you know, like a smart college audience's reaction to the movie. So they screened a rough cut and recorded it and there were like these filmmakers there and I was like, wow, oh, so these guys actually got paid to write and direct this movie and it was really funny and I was like, oh, kind of a light bulb went off. That would be kind of a fun thing to do. And I said to one of those guys, like, how do I get into the film business? And he said, we'll make a movie. So I made a, uh, I made a documentary and I sort of took that as my calling card and came out to LA and I thought I would just try it for a few years. And if it didn't work out, I would, you know, go to law school or something and cut to still waiting to see, if, you know, what the, that's it. <laughs> Did that's it work it. out? It worked out. Uh, so, so far, so good. <laughs> So when I was in college, I was uh, I, I rode crew. So it was a, it was a documentary about rowing, which is this kind of weird sport that like people don't know much about. So I thought, you know, oh, this you know people are super obsessed about like in rowing, you train all year round for five six minute races. So why is that the people would train for an entire year to have five six minute races in a season? And so I made this documentary, and then I was uh, dating this girl in college, and her father was friends with George Plimpton. And so I got it to him and he really liked it. He narrated it and I sold it to uh, a few PBS affiliates and then sort of took that as my calling card and, you know, came out to LA and I got a job as the assistant to the head of one of the studios who basically wanted a Harvard dude, like getting his uh, papayas at Gelson's and getting the windows tinted on his car and buying <laughs> organic dog food for his Japanese Akita. And I drove him to work every day and, you know, and, and read scripts and did errands for him and picked up his dry cleaning and rolled calls with him. He was a former agent at William Morris. So like you put calls in, you could listen while he talked to famous people. And it was, it was, you know, it was a really, it was a, it was both a humbling and a informative experience. You know, at one point I had to go find a Ming green colored toilet seat to replace the one that had broken in his Malibu beach house. <laughs> this is before the internet. Okay. So I'm like going through yellow pages. I'm driving to toilet emporiums. Um, I finally found one in like awesome. San Fernando and like there's a wall of toilet seats and one is Ming Green. And I was just like so jazzed. And then I had this sort of out of body moment like, wow, this is what I'm doing with my life. Like, so it's hard to find a mint green toilet seat though. Ming Green. Oh, Ming Green. Ming Green. It was oh, even, that's harder. even harder. Yes. I don't even know what Ming Green is. Is that like Jade Green? It's kind of like Jade Green. That oh, was wow. literally the I'm color. Like, I'm like yeah. really impressed you found that. I have a lot of tenacity. <laughs> yes, this is true. In the, in the toilet <laughs> arena. <laughs> we wanted to check in with you for a second before we get back to Carlton and Carrie and tell y'all a little bit more about ATX TV Festival. If you aren't familiar with ATX or the concept of a TV festival, just think film festival meets your living room with margaritas and barbecue and tacos and a lot of talking TV. At ATX, we spotlight classic shows, never aired pilots, and other cult favorites, and dive into current hits and premieres of new series. It's a celebration of all of TV. We invite showrunners, actors, producers, writers, all kinds of people in the industry and the best TV fans in the world to come hang out together in June and enjoy a lovingly and painstakingly curated slate of panels, Q&As, and screenings. If you love TV, you definitely don't want to miss this. It's all happening June 7th through 10th in Austin, Texas. Check out ATX Festival June 7th through 10th. To get tickets, go to atxfestival.com slash buy a badge. Come hang out with us. Carlton will be there too. Uh, my first job was 
Uh, I mean, my first real job, I had gotten some smaller jobs like writing cartoons and things like that, but my first real job was a staff writer on Moonlighting. I had done some freelance scripts for them, so I knew all the, I knew everyone there, and I, and I was very fond of all of them, so it wasn't... That's pretty. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good first job to be writing on Moonlighting. It was a crazy ass good first job, and I think the only reason I think it was one of those things where where it was like right person, right place, right time. Was it first season or second season? I st- well, I went in when they were had just first been picked up for six episodes. I went um, in to to and I and did an episode um, as we're going to partner then too. So we sold an episode. We wrote that for them, and they liked it. So we wrote another one. Meanwhile, while this was happening the show aired and just fucking blew up yeah so it just became this huge deal and then i did some more freelance scripts for them and then uh, they asked me to come and work on the staff i was like i was so excited and i was so terrified but it's also just my nature like i approach every new experience with terror (laughs) that's just how i process everything um but i remember driving onto the lot the first day and just thinking the fuck do they do in there all day like how the, all those people just talking because like when you break stories at home you don't spend eight hours doing it you work for four hours you know and then you like take a walk or whatever so i'm like what are they doing there for all that time it seems so strange but you know then i what were they doing talking that goes on in those yeah. rooms but um did you it, it did was you, a hard show to break though it was you did know? you go down to set oh it? carlton oh i was terrified because the actors on that show. I was such a baby. I was so, I was. I think everybody was terrified, weren't they? We used to not turn in <laughs> episodes for airing. I was being like, well, we don't have it. And they would run a rerun. And, and, they, and we got away with it because the show was so hot. That, yeah. was my, that was my baptism into show running. Wow. Speaking of like, I thought, oh, that's normal. You just call up and say you don't have the show. Um, but, uh, it was, you know, it was just, it was just one of those lightning so in you a bottle So you didn't shows. have to go down and like do rewriting for Bruce Willis or <laughs> Sybil Shepard? No, this is the, the funniest story, Carlton, is, um, one day everyone was gone from the office this one day and, um, the last person in command came to me and said, if any calls come from the set, you have to deal with it. And I was like a story editor, right? Yeah. And, I just the the next two hours. I We're mean, just, you you know me, so you can imagine. I was oh my god. I was terrified. I just I was like hiding under my desk. I was just praying they would not call, and they didn't. Oh, but in retrospect, it's just funny. Like it's funny to look at myself like as such a little kid and be like, I wish I could tell myself to not be so scared, you know. But at the time, it was they were like huge stars, you know. Yeah. And no, that show I mean, had such a force behind it and such an energy and yeah. It was it was it was really heady. It was a heady show to have for your first job. Yeah, I mean the first show I worked on was the show called Crime Story, and Michael Mann was the showrunner. I love talk that about show. Super, like terrified, like you know, going in to get notes from Michael Mann. Yeah. Like he he was a very imposing. Oh yeah. And he had this office at Universal, like everything was black, like all the furniture was black, the lampshades, the walls, it like, looked like it had been lit by Vittorio Storaro from The Godfather. And like, it was... very comforting. Yes. No, it was utterly terrifying. So I don't think you can actually, you can't, you can't go back and retcon that. Yeah. The craft of screenwriting, it takes a really, really long time. And so I, you know, I look back at Crime Story and I was like, oh gosh, I wasn't not a very good writer at that point in time, you know, and I just think, I feel like it took a lot longer than, 
I think like this was all before Mal- the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hour rule, you know. And I think that screen screenwriting is so deceptive when you read a really good script. It looks simple and so easy, and it's so so hard to actually do. And it, it just I think it took longer than I expected to actually get to a place where I felt like you know I was really sort of executing the way I wanted to execute stuff and it still is hard you know it's yeah. like it's like this every time you write a script it's this sort of Sisyphusian journey where you're you know you're back at the bottom of the valley trying to push this giant boulder up the hill you're all making making something out of nothing never gets easier <laughs> I keep expecting it to but it just never does it's always just this this gargantuan yeah. effort you yeah. know um, and it always involves stress. Can I do this? I think I can do it. Like my history tells me I can do it, but it's still, it's like, it's a, it's a very unique process. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about the process of show running. So what is your, what's your favorite part of the job of show running? <laughs> From getting you your coffee. <laughs> Not, that was a joke. Oh, it was a joke. It was a joke. I'm sorry. It was a total joke. <laughs> um, my favorite part is, uh, there's so many good parts. Um, I love taking people on a ride that is something I'm feeling in my head or my heart or when you're breaking a story, when you get the writers in the room, when you're all on the same page and you're creating this thing together. I think there's something about creating together that is super powerful to me um, and very meaningful to me personally for some reason. Um, but that's probably my favorite part of it. And what's your least favorite part of it? Network notes. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah, I know notes. Notes is you know it's hard. You yeah. know, and sometimes you, they're useful. You know, and sometimes they're not. <laughs> sometimes they're not. Yeah. And it's just, it's always just such a weird process when you're 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 creating a show with people who were there. We're all smart people. We're talented. We're there all day thinking about this, the ins and outs of how everything works. And then someone picks up a script and reads it, and they're like, they're commenting on it. And I feel like, well, come in the room for 50 hours a week, and then you know, you kind of. I, but I, you know, it doesn't work that way, and I don't. No, but it's you know, it's, just, it's, it's, a, just it's a part difficult. of the process. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's hard, you know. It's like I think people, you know, don't recognize how much time goes into defending yes. your vision as a showrunner. You know that there's a huge chunk of the job yes. which is. Like you think, oh, it's just the creation, but no, then you actually, and it's not enough just on the page. You actually have to defend it um, beyond yes. the words on the page. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you are thoughtful about how you write, you know, it's hard to then have somebody say like, well, why is this here? And you're like, right. for a thousand reasons. <laughs> That's why it's there for a thousand well thought out reasons. And it's also, I think, you know, now people who give notes sometimes, you know, I think they don't recognize there's kind of the death of a thousand cuts. You know, they don't like little notes kind of add, yeah. you know, add up to sort of take the sharp edges off things. And those are the things that are most inter- easy to challenge is like the stuff that sticks out that seems abnormal. But those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things that are like you say, well, would this character do that? And like the fact that they do do it is what makes the character interesting, yes. that it is unexpected, that it's unpredictable. And that's actually what engages the audience. And yeah. so you have to really fight networks to, to not sand the rough edges off of things because yeah. then everything just becomes kind of bland. 
I mean, that being said, we had a we did have a good relationship with A and E, and they were yes by far and like so supportive and not not invasive. But it's a general. It's more of a it's general more of a general thing. thing yeah. yeah. No, we actually were very lucky, and I think yeah. that Bates was the idiosyncratic kind of approach that we took to the show was something that they let us do and totally yeah, yeah which was great yeah carlton what is your favorite part of show running well my favorite let's see my favorite part of show running carrie is when i get to go previously on bates motel <laughs> like that's like literally when i get to do the little previously on you know like that, those that little voice really, things yeah, you know because that's a good part you know i'm really just show running because i'm a frustrated <laughs> voiceover artist no not really but i do love doing previously on Bates Motel. As you should. I mean, my favorite part is is working with like-minded individuals, with writers. Like, the collaborative process of creating something is just so rewarding. And you, you come in in the morning, yeah. and something magical will appear during that day that you never thought would happen. Like, mm -hmm. it's this weird sort of transcendent experience where you're, it's not like you come in with an idea and you're just going to execute it. You're sitting there with a bunch of other people and somehow there's this thing that happens and the story it just appears and it, it's just, that's, that's awesome. It's pretty cool. And the least favorite part of yes, sure you were about favorite. to ask me I that. was, I was, yeah. you okay. read my mind. Uh, budgets. Like when, <laughs> you know, I just, I mean, I, it's a part of the job, but like literally when you, have somebody say to you, like, you're $100,000 over budget on this episode or something, and you realize you're going to have to cut a bunch of stuff that you like, and or you're just having, you know, larger fights about how you don't have enough money to do things. I mean, I do think that there are there are normal constraints to production. You know, everybody has to write scripts down and fit into the box of whatever show is. But sometimes, sometimes the process of doing that is really not fun or pleasant yeah so it's just i mean it's a part of the job but it's not the yeah it's not the fun part of a job yeah so carrie i know there's a lot of parts to show running i previously used the uh example of being a decathlete and uh so you know storytelling is just part of the job there's a whole bunch of other stuff so how do you sort of balance your your time how do you spend your time like what do you like kind of you know what do you what do you think is important and what do you like to do as a showrunner and you know because obviously you have to do there's so many aspects that go into yes. making a show i feel like it, this is probably a weird answer but i feel like it's sort of like being a parent where you have a house and you have people in it who are all trying to do things and you have to make sure every day that everyone has what they need to get what they want to do done and that to me is what the job is. You you just are constantly going, what are the needs of today? What are the problems of today? How do we get ahead of those problems? Um, and really they're not, I don't find them like really that different from the writing because at a certain point you're all living in a fictional universe. It's like you're dealing with budgets, you're dealing with, you can film this in the day or in the night, whatever it is, but you're still, it's all about this like fiction this this thing you're 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 conjuring up together, so it doesn't feel to me that different from the actual writing part of it. Um, dealing with people who are not in the process, which was maybe why like network notes are a thing for me, because that feels different. Because then they're like they're like people from another land yeah. <laughs> who are coming in all of a sudden, and you have to like you know host them. But uh, everyone who's inside the experience with you it feels to me it comes from a, a similar place as a showrunner that you're dealing with all that in a similar way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of the things I've learned about showrunning over time is to really focus my t 
time and attention on the things that where I think I can be the most valuable. And there are a lot of aspects of the job where I think you have to really delegate and, you know, I mean, some showrunners don't and they micromanage, but if really doing multiple shows really taught me that, you know, I had to, it was like triage. I had to pick and choose where I was going to spend my time because there wasn't enough time for everything. So I, I would say that really the, the three things that I focus most of my time on are the storytelling, the scripts, I mean, the scripts and the, the story, breaking story and scripts and then casting and then editing. And a lot of the other things, I think there are really creative people that can do them. I mean, you know, uh, there are many people who are talented enough to pick the red car or the, instead of the blue car or who can, you know, really design a cool set or can be on set supervising production. I'm not, I think there's showrunners that divide into set rats and non-set rats. There's some showrunners who love being on set all the time. You know, for me, I always have like a ticking clock in the back of my head that there's other ways I should be spending my time. You know, next week's script has got to get finished or this next cut has to be edited or whatever. And I think that editing is a, I think you, when you make a TV show, you make it three times. You make it once when you write it, you make it when you shoot it, and then you make it when you edit it. And I think that if you spend a lot of time writing the show well and then you spend a lot of time preparing the director then the director can go off and shoot the episode and can be left alone during that part of the process and that is when she or he is really doing their important artistic work and then back in the editing room is when the story is told for the third and final time and that's really really important part and i i love 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 editing and really dig in deeply on the editing process and it's remarkable how much you can change and affect the shape of a show in the cutting room yeah you're, you're carlton is really really good at that i learned a ton from him i mean i think show running has definitely evolved and you know you're in a, on a successful show you're kind of almost not just a showrunner you're a brand manager so your job is to not just make the show work but you're sort of also kind of maintaining this sort of I mean, certainly on Lost, there was a ton of ancillary stuff, you know, maybe less on Bates Motel, but still there's kind of more of a sense of, yeah, I mean, there's sort of social media obligations. There's this, you know, there is ancillary content around every show. And it's a more, it's a more inclusive job and a bigger job than I think it was. What did you call it? Brand? Brand management. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. But that's true. And you have to do it in all these different right areas so people are coming and saying like do you want to do this you know record cover or or this uh you know this marketing campaign this ansel you know we're going to do some ancillary content are you going to have like a you know a diary for emma or whatever you know and so you're kind of trying to juggle all that along with also making the show yeah one of the things i am the most satisfied about or proud of and and just gives me such joy in my career is basically you know, helping move people along. And, and I have been fortunate to have a lot of writers who've gone on to become showrunners. I, I think it's a couple things. I mean, one, I, I really try to hire writers in sort of a blind fashion. Like I will never meet with a writer unless I love their words on the page. So, you know, agents will constantly sort of harangue you to try to get someone in the door. But if I don't actually like what's on the page, then I, I don't want to have the meeting because, you know, you're sort of you're setting yourself up for an appointment with, you know, disappointment. And so usually when I do hire a writer, it's because I, I love what they can do with words on a script page. And then on top of that, I, I like to make the process very inclusive and that I think, you know, I think some showrunners like to go off and behind closed doors. That's very true. Make their, you know, do all the decision making. But I, you know, I'm 
you know, very open about what's going on and, and try to, you know, include the writers in the whole process of making shows. And, and for me, the collaboration is, you know, it's not only just, it's not only rewarding to, you know, help people learn how to do stuff, but it's also the collaborative part of television making is actually the best part of the whole job. Sure. You take things from everybody. I mean, um, Jason was definitely like the the first person that I worked with that probably had a, a more similar temperament to me and that's Jason Kadams. Jason Kadams, yes, thank Friday you. Friday Night Lights, yes, Parenthood. Parenthood, yes, Rise. So I I identified w- with him a lot as a person who I said, oh, okay, I see how he's doing that. I understand that, you know. You know, David E. Kelly was, <laughs> and I didn't go around calling him David E. Kelly. But, hi, David E. Kelly. Did you just but, call him E? <laughs> I just called him E. <laughs> but was such a nice man. He did not. He did not come in the room a lot. You know, he was very. He liked his own space. So what I learned from that is like you, when you're running a show, when you're responsible for the creative vision, you do what you have to do to make it work for you. You know, and he was, he was, it's not like he was, he was never bad to anybody. He was a lovely person. That was just his process. He wanted to have full control of the script. He would sometimes rewrite them in, you know, 24 hours or whatever. But I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. That's, that's a way to do it. You know, the thing that I loved about working with Carlton was just, it felt so, um, I don't know how to explain, like, just so accessible. Like, it felt doable. Like, it may, it felt like, like this is a doable thing like you can figure out how to solve these problems you can you know you have it in you it's sort of it's sort of uh you got, you got a little bit of yoda <laughs> but you know that's really what it felt like it was like you can totally handle this stuff so you d- you do you pick up different things from every person that you work with Kara, why don't we talk about like what we're doing now real quickly before okay. we wrap up what well you, you go first what are you doing now i want to hear so, what you're working on I've I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years working on Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, which is coming on Amazon August 31st, and it is a it's based on the Tom Clancy Jack Ryan franchise. There have been five movies: Hunt for Red October, Some of All Fears, Patriot Games, et cetera, et cetera, and small um, movies. And uh, <laughs> and it's yeah, and it's so the idea was really the thing that really attracted me was that I was a big fan of Tom Clancy's books most of which are like 800,000 page novels and they're as I always thought like it's impossible to turn that into a two hour movie but what if you turn it into an eight hour movie and so I, I think the Jack Ryan as being like an eight hour movie you know the differentiation between movies and television is also vanishing I mean now I just sort of think of there being a spectrum so on one end of the spectrum you have you know low budget television shows that are made for maybe YouTube Reb or you know or small cable companies and then on the other end of the spectrum you have you know HBO which is putting Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman in shows or you know Altered Carbon on Netflix which is incredibly expensive show or and then at the far end you have you know uh, Will Smith doing Bright which is like a 90 million dollar movie that's being made for a streaming service and so there's this kind of continuum and you're just at a place along that continuum that's determined by budget and acting talent so I think Jack Ryan is really you know on the sort of the movie end of that spectrum you know it's it's we cross-boarded all eight episodes we shot it all like one big movie you know it just it's it's like an eight-hour feature film and it was really challenging and it was I think you know for me I'm always looking to just kind of improve my craft and be better at what I 
could do. I mean, there's this great quote from Akira Kurosawa when, you know, very late in his life, he was making Ron and he said, you know, I'm just now figuring out how to make movies. And I, I think that's was, it was so meaningful to me because I just, I feel like, you know, I'm just constantly trying to find ways to get better at what I do. And this was a real challenge. I mean, we shot in, we shot in Montreal, uh, Washington, DC. Um, we spent four months in Morocco. We shot in Paris. I mean, we shot in the French Alps. Um, it was just, it's amazing. it was incredible. And in just the logistics of trying to work with four different directors on eight hours of material and all over the world with crew members from everywhere, it was, it was really great. And I'm, I'm really proud of it. And so now I'm doing that and we're working on season two, which will be weird. We will have already shot two months of season two before season one ever even airs. And, uh, that's a, that's such a weird feeling. I know, but it's, you know, it's cool. I mean, Amazon's been great and they're super supportive of yeah. the show. And, you know, it's just, as I said, it's, it's really, it's kind of in this hybrid of movies and television. Yeah. That's really interesting. All right. Let's talk about what you're up to, Carrie. And okay. let's, you know, let's just um, cut to the chase. You're the first person to make an overall deal with Apple television. You are not only the first person, it's but crazy. you're, 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 you've been assigned the task of taking this, this very big project, which has um, been announced with Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston and turning that into a TV show. And like, so what can you, what can you tell us about that? It, well, first of all, when I walk through malls now and go by the Apple store, it's, it's very, it's very strange to walk by and go, Oh, that, that's my employer. I like, I work for Apple now. I, I can't quite conjoin that idea yet, but I mean, the Apple people that I've met with are amazing and um, great. I'm excited to work with them and develop with them. I'm excited to be able to create for streaming. And I'm really excited to take on this project. Are there going to be a lot of F-bombs? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> that, was the frust that was the only thing that was frustrating about Bates Motel. Honestly, know, the one thing, true. if you want to say there was one thing that really sucked... I mean, there were there were times on the set when Vera would be doing these beautiful speeches, and uh, they just so needed like a fuck in yes. there. Or Romero. Yeah, I mean, Romero. Forgot, so, like these tough guys that don't say fuck. You yeah. Know? But um, but no, I'm I'm super excited. I mean, the the potential of the show is is just huge, and it's it's just creatively challenging and exciting. Um, getting to work with that kind of talent, it's a great arena for a show. Uh, it's a great arena to talk about all kind of subjects that matter that are in the you know in the in the conversations people are having today um and it's also funny it's a funny world um so i'm really looking forward to it would it be possible for me to play the weatherman oh please carlton <laughs> please <laughs> what is the future this is a simple one what is the, tell us what the future of television is the this is simple because i honestly have no idea i mean if television is in such an interesting place and i mean if we're including streaming and all that in television um it's in such an interesting place because it's so expansive there's so much of it it could keep going that way <laughs> or it could blow up <laughs> so, <laughs> so i don't really know <laughs> you know i mean it, it, it's a very very interesting time and it actually will be fascinating to see how what it develops into you know in 20 years what we're doing I'm hoping that Apple will develop something that will allow me to download your show right into my brain. 
I just put a little <laughs> device in my happier. in my ears, and it'll just when I wake up in the morning, I'll be like, "Fuck yeah, that was awesome!" And I cried a lot yeah. at that whole scene with Jen. That would be awesome. Yeah, you are gonna cry, my friend. I'm, well, I'm, thank you for this you. Uh, awesome conversation. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, it's, Carlton. And I'm gonna be calling you about that weatherman thing. <laughs> The TV Campfire was produced by Kristen Myers with music and editing by Five Ohm Productions. This production was made possible by our wonderful partners, Matica Productions and the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Be sure to check out their other great series at foreverdogpodcast.com. Go to atxfestival.com for details on this and our other audio projects. You can also buy badges and join us at the festival June 7th through 10th in Austin. And you can watch the season finale of this podcast live. We hope to see you there. <laughs>